Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Ladies and gentlemen, if I said this was a movie trap, you would agree. This is my friend and my partner, Chris Boroff. How much, uh, I'll drink your milkshake. <laughs> and this is my <laughs> other friend and my partner, Zach Powers. I have a competition in me. <laughs> uh, welcome to the movie trap. We uh, today are uh, right in the middle of my theme, which is the make your case theme. How this is going to work is that basically one of us picks a theme and then each of us picks a movie based on that theme. Once we've watched all three movies, we will then vote and then whoever wins the vote, that host gets to pick the next theme. But this one's a little bit different because we've added a little bit of uh, a little bit of spice of, uh, of gamesmanship to it. Uh, so it has been my theme of the make your case. The idea being that you pick a movie that did not win Best Picture, but was nominated, uh, that it should have won Best Picture. Picture. So last time we watched uh, Fargo, which definitely should have beaten English Patient. And how it's going to work is once we're done talking about it, we are then going to vote, vote the person who didn't pick. So in this case, which is Zach's pick for There Will Be Blood, we are then going to vote if we agree, if, the, if Zach made his case well enough that... There Will Be Blood should have won Best Picture over No Country for Old Men. If Chris and I both vote for No Country for Old Men, Zach's movie is disqualified from winning the theme. So, uh, he picked a tough one. Uh, he definitely made his, uh, it, this is a tough one to, to sort of tightrope walk because um, There Will Be Blood, obviously a strong, strong movie and No Country for Old Men equally strong. Um, this this is gonna uh, come down. If to this is the first DQ, so be it. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. this is gonna come down to to either just taste or the most nitpicky of nitpicky things you can think of. Yeah. Um, I, I was well, saying these, earlier, these both came out when we were in film school, I think. Exactly. Uh, Carlson. So if it, yeah. if anything, it's probably gonna devolve into film school style arguments about mise en scène and the great uh -huh. arc of. Paul Thomas Anderson's career and yada, yada, yada. But we'll sure. see. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this really did. This was kind of like we were wrapping up film school at the time. Like we were about to launch off into the great wide open or whatever. So like to have these two movies be like the kind of like these were the masterpieces. These were the, the Shangri-Las, the targets you wanted to get for. So, yeah, I do. Obviously, I've got a personal connection to this movie. Zach, I know you do as well. Um, but before we get into digging holes underground to chase uh, bits of rock and melted uh, compressed bone or whatever oil actually is. Uh, let's get a rundown of the points real quick because we are still having uh, final voting. So uh, Chris Boroff, uh, as I said, we each get points and we vote on. Each of us has 10 points and then three bonus points. So Chris Boroff, you have three bonus points still to give out with 11 points for final voting. I have two bonus points to give out for 10 points uh, for final voting. And Zach Powers, you have two po bonus points to give out with 11 points for final voting as of now. So mm. that brings us to the matter at hand. Uh, so let's just do a quick rundown of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 2007, There Will Be Blood. Zach Powers, take it away. Yeah, as mentioned, There Will Be Blood is a 2007 period drama, kind of character study uh, film. 
Uh, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and loosely adapted by the novel Oil by Upton Sinclair. I hope you could hear that exclamation point on oil. Um, it stars uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano, and in his first and only film role, Dylan Frazier. The film opens in uh, the late 1800s. Uh, we meet Daniel Plainview, who is in a self-dug hole, having just discovered some silver uh, through dynamiting through some dynamite blasting. When his uh, ladder collapses, he breaks his leg, climbs his ass out of that hole, drags himself through the desert to get treatment at a nearby town. A few years later, he is working on drilling for oil with a small group of uh, a small team with some pretty rickety roughshod looking equipment, uh, pretty thrown together looking shit. They discover the oil, but one of the men dies and Daniel elects to uh, adopt his young baby. Uh, about t uh, nine, ten years later, uh, Daniel has become kind of a fairly successful uh, oil man. He is approached by Paul Sunday, uh, who claims that he knows a town that has uh, an abundance of oil just seeping out of the ground. And eventually, for $500, he reveals the name of the town is Little Boston. Uh, Daniel and uh, now his adopted son, H.W., um, who believes he is his real son, is told he is his real son, all of this, go to Little Boston, where they pretend to be quail hunting, but in fact are searching for signs that there is indeed oil, and they discover, yes, there is oil. So they talk to Paul's father about potentially buying the land, but Paul's twin brother, Eli, intervenes and demands slightly higher prices. He's trying to lowball this father into blank, thinking it's just quail hunting prices instead of oil prices. Uh, Eli demands more money, including $10,000 for his church. Eventually, an agreement is set, and Daniel begins quickly buying all of the land in Little Boston, though there is one man, uh, William Bandy, who uh, is unwilling to sell to Daniel unless he comes with, meet with to meet with him. Uh, Daniel does not have a great deal of interest in doing so. Uh, Eli uh, just, uh, requests to bless the well prior to the drilling beginning, but Daniel once again pettily denies him the right, instead saying a quick prayer himself. Soon there is an accident that kills one of the workers in the night. Eli claims this is because he didn't allow him to bless the well, but uh, when he confronts Daniel, uh, he shoves his face in the oil and sort of slaps him around and humiliates him. Uh, as their tensions sort of boil over. I think that happened before. Oh, but that... I think that, that, that happened after... Right, but after... Yeah, after the man is killed, yeah. there's also... Uh, when they strike oil initially, sort of a, an explosion at the derricks uh, that blows H.W. Uh, back and costs him his hearing before the oil lights a flame, shooting fire into the sky. But it is indeed their big uh their big payday like they it's have your, found it's, it's your average sorcerer that's what's going on indeed exactly it is a very sorcerer they blow they blow the well to stop the the burning but yeah it's it's a huge payday but unfortunately hw is deafened uh in the discovery and the initial explosion at that point eli confronts daniel and daniel sort of shoves his face in the dirt and slaps him Beats around the crap out of him mm -hmm. yeah. and says he's one day he's gonna bury him in the ground meanwhile uh a man who says he is daniel's half brother henry arrives on the scene 
He says he is from the same town. Uh, they share uh, a same the same father, but a different mother. And he has some documentation to sort of verify his story. And Daniel, uh, feeling estranged from uh, H.W., who can no longer hear, obviously, and, you know, limits his ability to communicate and such, uh, takes to Henry as kind of his new main protege. The two of them drink and go out on the town. Daniel uh, confesses to him that he has like a seething hatred inside of him for almost all people. Uh, eventually, however, after they begin to work on uh, setting up this pipeline, right? They are deciding instead of selling to one of the big oil companies, they're going to build their own pipeline to get the oil from Little Boston down to the coast in order to make considerably more money than if they just sold off the wells to Union or Standard or whatever it is. But uh, in order to do this, they have to uh, get a track through Bandy's Ranch. Nonetheless, they begin to plot the pipeline, uh, heading out to the coast little by little. Um, one day uh, uh, at the beach, when they finally make it to the coast, uh, they begin to reminisce about their childhood home, and Daniel becomes suspicious that Henry is an imposter. He doesn't seem to recognize certain references to their hometown. Uh, that night, uh, he awakes Henry with a gun pointed in his face. Henry confesses that Daniel did have a half-brother that he knew, uh, who died of tuberculosis and often talked of coming to meet Daniel and says that he can just leave in the night. It's fine. He'll just go away. Daniel doesn't quite accept that and shoots him in the face and buries him in a shallow grave. The next morning, he is awoken by William Bandy, who uh, seems to be aware that Daniel has committed a murder the night before and says that if you want my land my permission to build this pipeline through my land, then you have to come and be baptized uh, at, at Eli's church. Um, with no other option, uh, Daniel goes to the church and is baptized uh, by Eli, who slaps him, who accuses him of abandoning his son and various other, you know, misdeeds. Uh, Daniel seems to be slightly humiliated and indeed break down under the guilt of uh, having his son H.W. sent away on a train to go to a school for the deaf and function with no connection left pretty much to the boy at this point. Um, but it does seem to work. He gets the land and the permission for the pipeline. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems as though uh, his big payday is secured. Eventually, H.W. Uh, is reunited with Daniel after he leaves the school for the deaf, but we jump forward about 16 years or so to 1927. Daniel is living in a gigantic mansion. He spends his days just shooting at the furniture and drinking. One day, H.W. comes by. He has married Eli's sister, Mary, and says that he's going out on his own to Mexico to start his own wells. And Daniel uh, derides him as nothing more than the competition if he decides to do this and no longer his son, revealing after many years that he was just an orphan he found one day and decided to take in as a cute face to buy land cheaply. It seems as though their uh, relationship is permanently destroyed and H.W. Uh, leaves uh, to live his own life. 
Shortly thereafter, Daniel is visited in his private bowling alley by Eli. Eli has become a radio preacher, but has fallen on hard times with the depression and uh, offers to sell him uh, the bandy track at uh, a fairly high price, including the $10,000 he never got plus interest. Uh, So if he gives him this, I think it's something like $100,000, he can suck up the great untapped bandy track. And Daniel agrees on the condition that Eli uh, says that he's a false prophet and God is a superstition. Um, After thoroughly humiliating Eli, Daniel reveals that the bandy tract is worthless. Uh, All the wells around it have sucked up all the oil that was underneath it. There's nothing there. He doesn't want it and he's not going to pay him. After uh, a moment, Daniel becomes increasingly unhinged during the course of this conversation and eventually uh, begins to chase Eli around the bowling alley, throwing bowling balls at him, eventually grabbing a bowling pin and bludgeoning him to death before shouting to his butler, I'm finished. And that is the end of the film. It's quite yeah. a punchline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, yeah, pretty bleak, you know, but, but you know, this movie's, um, it's uh, even shot kind of bleak, you know, like well, it, most of the movie takes place in like a barren sort of desert place where not a lot of vegetation is. So um, it's it's a fitting ending. Well, that's kind of one of the craziest things with this. Like it's a um, essentially just a drama about oil, but they shoot big portions of this like it's a horror film. Exactly. Like, uh, uh, or if, and I, God damn you. Uh, beyond gotta that, get a point. <laughs> beyond that, uh, the uh, soundtrack sounds like a horror film. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Um, I literally have that in my notes that like Johnny yep. Greenwood's score sounds like a horror film. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, one one difference between this and the other movie we'll be discussing is like No Country has no soundtrack, uh, almost at all. I think maybe there's like some diegetic music, but that's the that's extent of it. Also, like a horror movie. No Country is very much like a horror movie most of the horror is more like character violence between like daniel like losing his mind the other one no country for old men seems like the Aus- the anton chigurh is just sort of it's almost a slasher film like he keeps yeah. showing up and killing people right this is more like the shining you know this yeah. is more like a guy kind of going fucking nuts right you know like mm-hmm. but all the while the atmosphere of the movie and the music and all the stuff is this kind of apocalyptic dread, like from opening frame of this movie, it starts. And I think it is in a regard like The Shining, the other kind of sort of film, and you don't see these as commonly today as you did uh, a while ago, back, uh, you know, in the mid mid, uh, 1900s, is those sprawling life story movies. Like, it's a Wonderful Life, Citizen Kane, or uh, what was all the all the King's Men, like mm-hmm. movies like that are are kind of what this reminds me of. Like it's the story of this man from fairly young until he is this wretched stumbling alcoholic, and I also deeply enjoy how much he physically transforms. Like in the first scene, he breaks his leg and he has this limp ever after, and by the and his years of like alcoholism and difficult labor has turned him into this weird hunched 
the way he chases after Eli is like so inhuman. Like he mm-hmm. gradually descends into this less human looking monster as sure. the movie and his decline progresses. Yeah, no, he, he sort of like manifests to like, because I, I, I do think both No Country and There Will Be Blood uh, like have a lot of like kind of metatextual stuff. Like the fact that uh, Daniel Plainview's sort of transformation is it's been he is become this demon of avarice and envy his antipathy towards eli i think stems beyond just the personal grievances uh i think he he views him more or less as competition because you know like yeah daniel plainview was a successful oil man but he's more or less a bottom feeder in in the grand scheme of things as far as oil is concerned and this is his big break and because he's a bottom feeder it's a lot of labor and a lot of you know you kind of said how hastily all this stuff's made to go i was listening to a, a charlie rose interview with paul thomas anderson and daniel day lewis and you know they were talking about like from like a historian they're like look they kind of just made this up as they went whatever worked whatever worked to get the oil out or like with the big explosion to do the sorcerer trick of dynamite they're like yeah they they kind of that's not the there's more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to this stuff because they were really just kind of figuring it out as they went along um and and that's why both movies no country and there will be blood have this sort of apocalyptic tone to it because it is the changing times that are coming to eat you right as we talk about them and the differences and similarities like metatextual things the theming of these movies i think what the the deeper meaning to me is probably where I'm going to make my stance that there will be blood is overall stronger for me. Like that's the place for me where the difference is made. Where like uh, where, where I think there will be blood is the one that takes it. And I can explain more about that as we get into that. I don't know if we want to, even in start introducing no country because I do think it's going to be yeah, a much. I, I mean, like, sure. And, and if we do too much Coen brothers, Russell's just going to have an aneurysm of joy. <laughs> Unlike Fargo and English patient, I think it's probably going to serve this film because even when this movie came out, we talked about it with the two being a pair. I mean, yeah, I, 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 it almost seemed like it was, there were two great movies that came out this year. And, and, and these movies were filmed so close. They were filmed a few miles apart. Like they're so close together that during the scene where they, uh, you know, had the big oil explosion and all the smoke was going into the sky. It disrupted filming for no country for old men because they were so close together. The smoke was, was ruining wow. their shots. I had no yeah, idea. And it's that the Coen brothers, close. so you knew it was a tight schedule, you know. So, yeah. like, you know, they were pissed. Uh, <laughs> um, no question. Easy for me. Yeah. Sure. It is that is one hundred percent Mike. I agree. This is his most Oscar ish film. Yeah, and, and it's also question. it also kind of changed the trajectory of 
every letter film after this pretty much you know like and and the coens kind of went on the same way after no country didn't they i mean like it does seem to kind of be you know a fulcrum point for both of their careers because like after this thomas anderson kind of does the master in phantom thread he has the weird one with inherent vice you know i haven't seen licorice pizza but i've heard licorice pizza much more is on the punch drunk love sort of vibe than it's than comedic than and, and right. largely very episodic like Sort of. Every film after this, like the master especially, like is is kind of dripping with this, uh, you know, self importance. Yeah, right. You know, like it's it's it knows how serious it's taking itself. You know, and even Inherit Vice, which I I quite enjoyed, is is still kind of a different vibe. But it still has it's still like the pension novel, so it's it's kind of got that level of of you know seriousness to it. Whereas, you know, before this, even Boogie Nights, like I didn't think Boogie Nights and Magnolia, too, because Magnolia gets off into the really weird and doesn't care. Like if we're going to compare them like that, I know that it's hindsight now because we know that uh, There Will Be Blood came out and then we've seen his career since then. Um, But since we know this is his best film and he didn't win an Academy Award for it, would you say that No Country for Old Men is uh, one of the Coen brothers' best movies? Because... For me, Easily. I had a I had a weird thing where I couldn't remember exactly how it played out until I watched it again. Whereas uh, there will be blood, I pretty much remembered the whole movie. And I'm not saying that makes <laughs> yeah. one better than the other. I'm just sure. saying that that was an odd thing for me because if I had to think of a best Coen Brothers movie, it would probably still be Fargo. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and- I think those are worth talking about. Uh, Super quickly, uh, I should probably... We did this for The English Patient, but uh, we should probably do the 30-second There Will Be Blood rundown just so okay. people have context yeah, this one will be easy. Uh, guy stumbles into drug, uh, thing goes wrong, steals money. Even scarier guy kind of chases him throughout. Tommy Lee Jones is a cop chasing both of them. In the end, uh, James Bro- Josh Brolin doesn't make it, ends up getting killed by the cartel, who's also after the money. Chigger ends up with the money, and Tommy Lee Jones retires. The end. And, and, and also should be noted, like like there will be blood, also based off of a novel, though far closer to the adaptation of the to novel. To the degree uh, that there than, are times where they are directly lifting dialogue. From oh the novel. no, it's it, when I read No Country for Old Men, which by the way, it's a quick read by Cormac McCarthy. It's it's very worth your while. Um, I, I I read it because the Coen Brothers were doing it because I'm such I, a fanboy. I listened and, to a little something on No Country for Old Men. Um, and the Coens said when after when they were talking about writing the script for this, he said, well, it took both of us because one of us had to read the book and the other one had to write. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, these, those guys, I swear to God. Um, but even reading it, even when I read it before the movie came out, I'm like, oh, this is perfect for the Coen brothers because there is a lot of like that whole scene with the mom in the backseat. You know how many people I know in El Paso? That's how many. That's straight from the book. And I'm like, okay, this is right up the Coen Brothers alley. Um, so, but even. Whereas oil is markedly different from their work. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, he, I'm giving Zach a point because uh, I didn't know that quote. That's a funny quote. You got to laugh at him, so you get a point. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and I think even bringing it back to Fargo a little bit, No Country is more or less a continuation of the kind of Fargo-ness that they're trying to do, but, you know, in the Coen brothers sort of prism that they put their movies to. But with no, with There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson had never done anything like this before. Like, this is a whole new world for him. So, like, that's why I, I not only is it its best, I think it, it, it launched his career to a direction that I didn't uh, anticipate. And, you know, with varying degrees of success, you know. I, and I do think that, like, 
Uh, no country. I mean, we. It's an appropriate thing to talk about this week because it it feels in many ways like a spiritual successor to Fargo. Like the, the I think there's a lot of commonalities between No Country and Fargo. Like obviously, both of these are like some people chasing the money. There's a cop who's like kind of the moral center of the thing, you know, chasing him down, and like this kind of sociopathic figure. Yeah. Obviously, Fargo's far more uh, comedic. Um, yeah, and, but and even, even the even the empty settings, like all the mm-hmm. desert settings versus the snow covered tundras, like it, it's sure. very. I mean, I mean yeah, it's the... it's weird because it's it's set in like a frozen area, but Fargo feels way warmer to me than No Country for Old Men. <laughs> it's yeah, that's true, but it's it's not as desolate uh, feeling. I mean, so much so. I mean, like, look, the we just saw it. I mean, the 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 briefcase that Josh Brolin finds the money in is literally the same briefcase that fucking C. Buscemi buries. Um, it's the same type of briefcase. Um, so, I mean, and my argument is always, and this is just kind of like Russell, you know, three a.m. up late at night, you know, uh, inebriated theories that I think all of the Coen brother movies are in a shared universe, but that's a different podcast for a different day. Um, <laughs> um so but with there will be blood like it also is very desolate like the, i think that it, uh, another way that this these movies are so uh tight is you know deacons one i think for no country but i could have just as evilly given it to robert ellsworth for this movie i mean because this movie's shot awesome i mean i love there's the way so it looks. much there's things that are are there's like in the scene uh, and I think it's shot like it's shot on film, and I think it shows at certain times. Like the scene where the Derricks explodes and there's fire, they have like shots of the Derricks, and you see that ring of light you get, like only in certain filming styles. And I really, I really enjoy that they decided to keep to keep that in. I don't know, it just makes that shot so much more interesting to me. Yeah, the anamorphic lens uh, flare is like. Um... When you see it done with an actual anamorphic, it's very exciting. Like, it's one of those mm-hmm. things that, like, people have done fakery with, and it's, like, a very common editing trick now to throw that in. But when you see it done, and you can tell that it's a legitimate lens doing what it's supposed to do, it's exciting. It has, like, a certain quality to it. And, um, and also, I mean, it, this movie was shot on film, but I think both movies still went through the digital intermediate and were ed- edited digitally. So, I mean, when... And this is another reason why, obviously... Borf and I were kind of excited to kind of get out of film school because we had been learning all about like, you know, Final Cut and fucking all that shit. I mean, now who gives a shit? But like, it's <laughs> that it was still in its nascent form. I mean, you know, I, this is still like kind of before Avatar and mm-hmm. everything kind of changing now. So this is kind of one of those movies where it kind of was the beginning of that. I mean, I know the Coen brothers kind of tinkered with it in Oh Brother, um, but they, this one, they full on did it for no country. Yeah. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson did the same thing with there will be blood, which is a, again, it's, it's a, this is, these, are these, this movie, there will be blood is one of the best movies of that era of the odds. No question. I think it's easily in the top five and any other year that that movie would have come out, it would have won best picture were it not up against another one of the greats of that mm-hmm. era in no country for old men. So like, this is where. I think that that there will be blood. I I sort of understand where you're coming from, Zach, when it with the the metatextual f- themes that yeah. there will be blood is delving into. 
um, you know, the, the title, There Will Be Blood, is all over it. It, it. It's blood of the earth, blood of God, blood of family, blood of man. Like, it's, it's all over it. And then you get into the, the end scene in the bowling alley, which is probably, you know, I mean, you talk to anybody who's seen this movie, this is the scene they pretty much it's, remember it's the i drink your milkshake scene like yeah. this see this movie caused memes to occur and it's right. mostly i drink your milkshake yeah and that's that that's so weird to me because the line that stuck out to me was when he's saying i am the third revelation i and i think that yeah the i mean prophet like yeah. that's I, I, the line that matters to me um yeah i think so i mean well uh we can get into some of this but i think um you know like I even have, I, I mentioned this in our chat, but like I literally in the office we record, I have like the, the poster, the UK version of the poster for this movie mm -hmm. up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think it's much more in line with what, you know, with, you know, the actual meaning of the film, which is like this, I mean, to me is, this is the movie that is, it's just the birth of kind of modern America, post-industrial America. Like this is the, I think that's what it is meant to be about. Like it's one charlatan greedy monster being co-opted and bashed into oblivion by a new hunched monster um mm. like that is ultimate like you know i mean even at the beginning there's the uh, hw is anointed with a cross in oil like eli his power to control the the power of like religion in america is decreased and the power of capitalism increased and also stealing and appropriating the symbology of religion to become the new god of of this mm -hmm. new 1900s America of the West, yeah. And it's it's and you know like there's this notion of technology, right? I mean, like I love the way there will be blood, like right before the explosion. It's they make the the drilling of the oil itself almost blasphemous you know like it's yeah. almost like this sort of like unholy ritual that that's happening and it, like the coen brothers god strikes back you know like he mm -hmm. comes back um so that's why i uh, and you know because I, I what did you guys think if there will be blood of the whole twin thing uh because um, like they they sort of it sort of sounded like they changed that almost last minute. They just liked Paul Dano so much that they sort of well, kind the, of changed the, everything last minute. The other kind of actor who work. was supposed to play Eli quit about four days before he was supposed uh, one, to. One rehearsal with Daniel Day-Lewis. That'll do it. I think it was indeed That'll like, it. it was like, oh, I can't deal with this guy. By the wow. way, we should mention, we should mention the HW, um, you know, his, his son who yeah. had to act opposite of Daniel Day-Lewis. I cannot think of a more terrifying experience as that's your first job and you're just a kid uh, and you have to act across from, you know, Mr. Intensity here. <laughs> I had yeah, to assume and like, that the I know kid that, was just like... I like, read about this a little bit. I mean, you could probably put more into it. I just have to imagine that the kid was just sitting there quiet most of the time going like, okay, I'll just, I'll just, just talk when they tell me to. I don't know. I'm well, just saying, yeah, I'd have pissed my pants. Like, just the... Yeah. This, all he had this, to do was, like, look at me, and I'd be like, ah! <laughs> this kid was just... Like, they literally looked for potential actors in the schools in the area they, where they were shooting and found this kid. Like, he's not some kid who tried to have an acting career. 
hasn't done a thing in in acting since um i don't know he says like before they they started like daniel day lewis uh sat him down and was like listen i'm gonna like maybe be you know crazy or weird or like yelling at you but it's all pretend which is like you know more than you usually expect, maybe from the stories you hear from Daniel Day Lewis. From Daniel Day Lewis, mm-hmm. sure. And that's what I mean. Like, what a, I, another reason why this movie is so great is, I mean, I think it's maybe the it's best Daniel Day Lewis, right? I mean, and, that and that's fucking yeah. saying something of Daniel Day Lewis. Like, it's one yeah. of his best performances, and he's had a couple. Um, so, like, I it, but I mean, it, here's where. I've always said one of the knocks on this film. This film doesn't work if it does if it isn't Daniel Day Lewis. Um, I think that Paul Thomas Anderson more or less let Daniel Day Lewis be in the driving seat. And I mean, I understand that's the that's the the purpose of the movie. But if you didn't have that unearthly talent of Daniel Day Lewis doing this movie, I'm not sure if it would work. See, I don't know if that's true because the first 15 minutes of this movie are silent. So you're you're dependent heavily on mostly the visual aspect of it. Like, I think the mm-hmm. first thing he says is no. That's the first line that you actually have. And I think it's after he's been injured. Like, he finds okay. himself at the bottom and he, like, chokes and says no or something, which I think is a pretty standard reaction that somebody would have if they just got into an accident. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of it earlier on, like, it's definitely the physicality of that performance. And sure, I mean, you might be like, you know, I probably agree with you that Daniel Day-Lewis definitely fit this part. I'm yeah. not sure if nobody else could have played this part. Um, uh, there's actually another uh, actor who was in this who's really oh, surprising. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, no, not yeah. Paul Dano, uh, oh. Kieran Hines. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, for- I actually forgot he was in this movie until we watched yeah, it again. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, He's like one of my favorites when he popped up. I was like, oh, hey, it's that fucking guy. And mm-hmm. then I was like, you know. Belfast he, he, guy. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't do a lot in this. Uh, hmm. At least his character doesn't do a lot. It seems like he himself is doing a lot to humanize everyone else around Um uh, the main character just because he's the only one who really seems to care about the kid so you get the sense of like by comparison in terms of like how that guy seems to be concerned with the kid's health versus how Daniel Plainview does not care like it kind of lets you know the, he's like the his uh, his his like sociopathy translator kind of like he's <laughs> he's this assistant whose job is to be like I gotta make this guy seem somewhat like a human fucking being yeah, yeah, and that's you know so that's what. But I mean, you could just as easily say the same argument about uh, Anton Chigger with Javier Bardem. Like part of the power of that movie is his performance, um, which again, that's fair enough. Um, I, I I agree, but I, I don't. I just think that I don't think it has anything on Lewis's performance in this. Like the baptism scene alone, like he goes through like six different modes in that scene very effectively in my opinion there's very few movies uh very few performances that could stand up to this performance i think um and that's why i i I think that that's sort of like you know it 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 makes it but i i don't know it's like you're stacking the deck uh, you've already got uh, daniel day lewis you know like it you you know but i think plainview is still an interesting character beyond that like i think the way that this guy does genuinely, in my opinion, try to, at times, hold on to some kind of humanity. 
and the way he like transforms between like these mental states like part of that baptism scene is because that's how it was written like i'm sure that like it like there are lines in that scene like he breaks he has these moments of real intentionality there's moments where he like let's slip this mask of politeness and is like, I'm, I'm going to find you wherever you are and I'm going to slit your throat. Like his drunkenness, the way that he relates to HW and then Henry until Henry's fraud is revealed. Like, and I think both of those characters for me, like I, th I think the reason he does relate so strongly to them and rejects Henry and murders him so completely uh, is because like this guy's a narcissist and he can mold HW into a version of himself and Henry biologically has himself in him. Um, and I think he has a complicated relationship with that because honestly, Eli has a lot of Daniel Plainview in it and it revol like, he's revulsed by it. Like, yeah, he, mm -hmm. he despises it. Yep. Um, it's the famous line. You are what you hate, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's why I, be, like I said earlier, I think uh, Daniel Plainview's antipathy towards Eli goes beyond the, the personal insults or whatever. It is his existence alone, a little too close to my existence. So this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Um, and and that's, that's where I, I sort of like that thematic battle of business and religion, and they're both just knowingly fraudulent. Um, and, you know, it's really... Because, like... That's why I, I'm not sure if I agree with you that Daniel Plainview has humanity. He more or less uses it as a way to charm to get what he wants. Once he gets what he wants, he pretty much discards it completely um, and never uh, needed I, it to begin with. Because it never think, fills the hole. Yeah. No. Well, I, I don't know. Like, he even says, I can't. There's that speech where he talks about how he hates most people and he's like, I can't keep doing this on my own. I think the physical trans, like I mentioned how at the end he's transformed and mangled into this monster, even at the beginning, like there's a scene after he decides to adopt HW where they are on a train and it's a silent scene. It's before the dialogue starts. And there's a moment of genuine, gentle connection between them that like, why would he be faking that? With, for no audience. Yeah. And there's I mean, and there's fair. the moments in the baptism, right? When he shouts, I've abandoned my boy, there's real grief in that. Like, he's not strictly sociopathic. Like, when he gets back to, like, do you accept... The, one of my favorite funny lines of the movie is, like, when he's like, do you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he has this very flat, like, yes, I do. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, uh, like, abandon my boy part, like, that's a break. Like, he's he's having some degree of guilt over what he's done to sure. Sure, well, but it's, it is also pride, you know. That yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's the humiliation and the the degradation of his own statue of how he views himself. That's kind of um, what played with me too. Like, because what when I watched that scene, I don't know if I read it. You can read it multiple ways. I think depending on kind of what you what you see Daniel as at the time. Because for me, when I saw it, like it kind of stuck out that it was mostly he uh, was angry. He was like furious. So like his, you know, uh, you know, gesticulations and loud proclaiming of how he abandoned his child, like he was saying it and it seemed like he was saying it out of rage more than mm. sadness. Like it wasn't mm. a, uh, it wasn't a mea culpa. It was like someone screaming, I'm going to burn this whole house down type energy, at least as far as I got it. 
The um, yeah, and I, I, I think it's very possible that it's both. I mean, it 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 that that grief is still kind of around him, but I uh, maybe I think he's grieving his own image of himself to have to mm-hmm. be on his knees and get slapped around by this little pissant. Um, I think that that might play into it too, but I do think that it's not about affection for the boy. It's about appearance of affection for the boy. Like he, even when he finally goes off, when the kid marries Eli's little sister and wants to go off to Mexico, uh, Daniel Plainview doesn't grieve this. He's like, well, now I get to kill you. Yeah. Far beyond. because well, he's already won, right? That, Dan, yeah. When you see it with the end of the movie, that's the lion in winter, right? He's gone to seed. He's done. And that's what it's done to his body is that, you know, because he wasn't Standard Oil or Rockefeller or whatever, he had literally had to work his ass off to build that giant palace that he lives in. And now he's just going to live in that palace. But he's lived such a primitive, savage life for most of his life that it's not really all that much of a comfort to him. Um, so his only comfort really is sticking it to other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that probably exemplified in him shooting his own furniture. Cause he doesn't really care about any of the things he has. It's just the, uh, the hunger and the chase was the only thing that kept him going. And now that he doesn't really have anything to chase anymore, it's just, what's he going to do? So he just ends up killing, well, he, killing somebody. Yeah. And I think that it's, uh, there's a moment at the end that I think underlies that, right? When Eli discovers him, he is drunk <laughs> asleep <laughs> in one of the lanes of the bowling alley. And Eli starts screaming various things to wake him up. He's like, your house is on fire. Wake up. Wake up. Your house is on fire. And then the thing that actually gets him to wake up is when he calmly, very quietly says, it's Eli. Eli. And then he immediately yeah. wakes up. Yeah. Because this is yeah. what he's been waiting for. Like, the thing he wanted is to crush this man, right. like to crush people. Like that is what he lives for. The, the, the stuff like, and he says he like also wants to get away from everybody. And I believe that's partially true, but like in his heart, like a good capitalist, the things he loves the most is pushing someone under his boot and crushing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that gets him up. And like, when he gets to the top, it's like, dull you know i don't yeah, have anybody right. to push oh, anymore thank you you came right into the lion's jaw i all yeah. i have to do is close that, that's um, why he says i'm done yep or i'm finished right. yeah yeah um so yeah this movie is amazing but since we're gonna be on the theme of making your case um and i really did zach i tortured myself over trying to think about like because even at the time i still probably gave it to no country and, and here's my reasoning for that still. Um, and, and not really 100% still, because I, I really don't know. Um, what I like about No Country is that this is a different kind of movie for Paul Thomas Anderson to do where there will be blood. But as you said, like this is almost like a Fargo postscript. Um, yeah. So it is interesting to see filmmakers like the Coen brothers elevate their own form of storytelling and perfect it. Whereas I think Paul Thomas Anderson with There Will Be Blood was trying to make this movie more timeless. And like you say, make it more like, you know, Treasure Sierra Madre and shit like that. Like this is, you could see this movie being made in the 50s. Um, You know, probably not as graphic, but, you know, general type of story of, uh, you know, a man 
realizing what he actually is. Um, though, again, both movies are pretty bleak and touch on that theme a little bit, at least with uh, Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Jones's character. Uh, not so much with the uh, with Anton Sugar, because Anton Sugar isn't really a character. He's not really no. a person. He's yeah. a he's a an he's agent. A force, of, yeah, yeah uh, he's, he's a he's, wraith. He just kind of pops in, kills people, and then leaves. Yeah, uh, there's there's a there's in the first two pages of the book because um, the book is it it has Tommy Lee Jones's um, narration throughout of it. It keeps cutting back because the book's written that way. You cut in each chapter is like Anton. Uh, Llewellyn Moss and then Ed Tom Bell that those are the three characters you pretty much follow um, and they don't meet at all which uh, I think is is kind of kind of bold to do like they they keep they keep dragging you along and, and spinning you along and spinning you along and it never actually happens um, I think that's an interesting choice I get I mean like because my little brother fucking hated this movie he hated no country he will never forgive me for recommending this movie for because yeah. he he there are certain that, people that who really despise me. well I, I i remember there were people at the time who really despised this movie one of their biggest complaints was that josh brolin's character dies off screen without ceremony um and some people really hated that i to be clear am not a hater of no country like mm-hmm. this is legitimately such a fucking difficult matchup. I know it yeah, I'm not it I'm not a no country hater it I think is. it's a great I, movie I, I, yeah. I again this is one of those instances I would love to see the vote tally on this for the best picture because it's got to be tight between these two I got it because like the other competition was Michael Clayton Juno and Atonement uh, yeah. all three of those movies are varying on not that good to pretty much forgettable um like I don't even remember Michael Clayton. I remember a car blowing up. That's about. I, it. I don't Juno, really remember I what Atonement's about. I just assume that people are trying Atonement to get over fine. something. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. No, Atonement was fine. Uh, Juno was not the baby. Yeah, yeah. Juno was overrated, and don't understand why everybody well, drooled yeah, it's over funny. that movie. It's funny when you mention the thing about the three characters that never meet up. I've seen another film that does that. Um, I don't know if that's a super common. I don't think that's a common structural device. No, but I saw another film. Um, made by a troublesome director called Dust Devil. Um, it's a pretty good horror film, but it essentially kind of like does the same thing. Where these isn't that Stanley? It's yeah, it's Richard Stanley. Okay. but it's odd because all these characters get involved in trying to hunt each other down, and it sort of works almost like a spiral. Like the characters keep getting closer and closer together because it's one person chasing another person chasing another person. And it keeps getting faster and faster and faster in between the scenes, but then they all meet at the end. So that was what this I was is, uh, thinking might happen here, but then it goes a completely does, different direction. Because I think the, I think No Country, how I kind of read the three characters is that Ed Tom Bell, Tommy Lee Jones's character, is the past. Llewellyn Moss, Josh Brolin's character, is the present, and Anton Chigger, uh, Javier Bardem, is the future. Uh, you can slow down the future. You might even be able to escape it for a second, but it finds you and it will eat you and destroy you. Um, because even at the beginning scene, like how Llewellyn Moss gets his money is he pulls it out of a pile of bodies, basically. That's how he gets his money. Nothing. Yeah. And yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's comes an across- RPG looter. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like taking everybody's boots. There you go. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character comes across it much, much later, on horseback. 
you know, everything about, and, and the way Anton Chigurh is hunting the money is he has this device, which, you know, the movie takes place in 1980. Um, that's what I like about both movies. Both movies, even though they take place in the past, have this sort of like end of the world vibe to them, um, in, in both of their presentation and atmosphere. Um, so Anton Chigurh's, there, what is the story arc of No Country for Old Men? It is Tommy Lee Jones' story arc. It's him, the No Country for Old Men. Does it work? I don't know. It certainly worked in the book, and the Coen brothers did their ever-loving best, I think, to cram that sort of theme in there. Um, but did it land for everybody? Obviously not. But it had landed with enough Academy voters, I suppose. But you could also say, and, and this is the cynic in me, that they... T tilted it more towards no country to make up for Fargo <laughs> and English patient to mm -hmm. more like apologize for maybe going for the English patient over Fargo. Cause the Academy would never do anything like that. They, they sure. never make apology, uh, <laughs> apology Oscars or anything. Um, so yeah, Zach, you really did uh, make your work cut out for you. Cause like I said, I, I do uh, think that when it comes to these two movies, it is really a matter of taste. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. And, and you know, uh, on the subject of 2007, um, Another movie that didn't get a nom for best picture, and probably I think a lot of people uh, I I see more and more as the year go years go by, people saying this is this director's best best movie ever is Zodiac, which mm. didn't even get the nomination for best picture, and uh, I think has kind of come to be among certain film circles be a bit of a, a classic in its own right. Which I mean, two thousand seven could have been the maybe the toughest year for uh, for best picture nominees ever. I, I think um, that just been. kind of reveals the fact that it's mostly marketing push. Like, I think yeah. that if they'd had more money behind Zodiac or if it had caused the same sort of uh, zeitgeist explosion as Fight Club, they probably would have given it more attention than they did. And I, yeah. I think both these, I think both There Will Be Blood and No Country are Miramax, so we can't even disqualify them on that regards because they're evil and even and, and both of them. I think both are Scott Rudin, too, who is another prince of a man. Um, well, yeah. You know, um, you mean so. a movie like There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men didn't have nice people involved in every <laughs> aspect of it, but they seem like uplifting movies, Carlson. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, by all respects, uh, the Coen brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, I just Paul. Paul yeah, yeah. I know Daniel Day Lewis is intense. Um, you know, but that you can't argue with the output. You know, like I know that probably being on set with him has got to be something short of uh, gauging between a headache and a nightmare, but uh, yeah. I can't argue with the result. You know, I, I can't argue with the result. So whatever yeah. you got to do to get there, ideally, I guess, you ideally know. you'll get, you'll get him in a movie where he's playing like Abraham Lincoln and he's a nice guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you have to deal with him when he's Daniel Plainview or Bill the butcher. It's butcher, like, Jesus right, Christ. Yeah, right. Or even like the Phantom Thread, he's just like this soft. He's still an asshole, you know. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. where, yeah. big, but, but even that, he's not going to scream at you. At least, you know, he's going to. Yeah. So you know, he'll, he'll take his so little we, jibes. Well, we yeah. talked. We've talked around it, but now we probably should have you guys make a determination. What do you feel is the best movie? Um, well, uh, Zach already made his call. He's he's made his shot uh, for for. And I I do think that like for me partially like like I say. You know, I, just, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, The Wire's uh, big old classic. Love that that show so much. And to me, like the sociological underpinnings, the sort of like changing of the tide in America stuff, like that aspect 
is something that resonates much more heavily with me than, uh, I mean, there will, uh, No Country for Old Men's great. I think people almost overestimate how complex it is. Like, this is a movie, like, about the nihilism of the universe, right? Anton Chigurh is, like we said, he's not a character. He's, he's constantly, he, like, is compared to a tool, um, He's always, he's talking about how the coin and him got here the same way, this element of chance. He is not a person who kills necessarily even with prejudice. He is simply a tide that comes. Like, for everybody, eventually. He is a grim reaper who is not focused. The money doesn't appeal to him. Um, I think, you know, the, the closest we get is, like, he has a little bit of a special hate for Llewellyn because he gets blood on his boots. But, like... <laughs> But, you know, I, it is fundamentally the story that ends with this dream. People talk about the dream a lot, right? Uh, and it's Ed Tom Bell looking back on his life. He's retired now and he has a couple dreams. One about uh, his father giving him money and he loses the money. And, you know, that could be about, you know, regrets for what you failed to failing to solve this case or whatever you could say. But the more important one is about his father going ahead of him and lighting a fire and leaving Tom to continue through this dark valley. And before he reaches his father, he wakes up. And it's this just ultimately philosophical idea of like, this is a cold nihilistic universe. Maybe, maybe you have the dream of some afterlife where a war, where warmth is waiting for you. Or maybe you don't, maybe you just wake the fuck up and that hope is nothing. And I think it's a great metaphor for that. But I also think it's a fairly like the that 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 theme does not by itself compel me as much as this parable for the birth of modern capitalist America. It I think that's ultimately and I, I, I you know, I can't deny that, like, obviously, the performance of Daniel Day Lewis, I think in a lot of regards, they're these are both exceptional pictures. They're well shot. They're beautiful to look at. Um I think, you know, the character of Plainview is, I think both the character and the performance are like some of the, the, like, argue, you could make an argument for the, for the best character of this century so far for, I think, both the performance and the character, in my personal opinion. Um, and Anton Chigurh is fascinating in, in that sort of Joker from the Dark Knight way as this ideological force, um, but he is ultimately not a human being. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah, and, and you know, like, it, it's weird, too, because in the novel, I mean, Cormac McCarthy gives Anton Chigger a lot more stuff to do. Like, he actually ends up with the money and, like, negotiates it out and stuff like that. But one of the things I like about No Country, and this is where I think I'm going to have to stick with as much as I hate to do it, because, and this is stupid, because... Like honestly, uh, uh, I'm gonna you, give it to before no. Before you say it, before you say okay. it, okay. I fully acknowledged when I started this, when I rolled that dice and got this. I mean, the dice got here the same way I did, right? Uh, yeah, okay. um, <laughs> like, I I was like, ultimately, if they both pick no country, I will be like, yeah, that's totally valid. Like there is yeah. no. There is and, no, this is not English patient versus Fargo. This is right. not like crash versus whatever crash was up against. Right. Yeah, yeah. This right. is like, <laughs> for, yeah, for like I mean, I get movie. it. I get why you prefer that movie. 
Sure, no, and I too get why you would prefer There Will Be Blood over No Country for Old Men. That is very, I, even at the time, like I said, I'm never going to get into a fistfight about this. these two movies because both are valid and hell, it should have been a tie. Um, you know, it, it really should have. That's why I want to see the vinyl numbers because, you know, I, I'll bet it was close. Um, so for me, if I'm just going off of the two metrics I put in in the last episode, which is longevity and viewing experience. Um, I think longevity, I'm going to give it a, a push for both of them. I think both have equal amount. Although uh, our mutual friend sort of shared us this tweet about like Daniel Plainview is the millennial version of Austin Powers. Uh, how, has yeah, everyone has an impression. I think of, it's of, uh, uh, Daniel Plainview. Um, I, I argue also Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, is sure. On, uh, that's up Everybody's there, but, got their Bane. Right, yeah. Uh, there, there's not too many impressions of Anton Chigger out there because he really doesn't say much. Um, yeah, it's, it's friend, really all about do the friendo thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, friendo. You know, like yeah, it, it's call it. You know, his he. I mean, we're our. I don't want to underplay Javier Bardem's performance. He is of, great. Of, he is I great. Mean, he is like his his little like choke when he the man at the gas station is like, oh, uh, when he feel, finds out the man at the gas station married into it, he's like, you married into it, <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> It's really good. It's a great it, performance. It, it is, and, and and because and that's that's almost like almost a more difficult performance I think to pull off than because Plainview's so realized and his the movie goes through you and you you can chart his journey. There is nothing out there for Chigger, but yet there is this spark of like it. What makes it because if Daniel Plainview was just Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or whatever, it wouldn't be as good. What made No Country work is that Anton Chigger is a real person. He, he like because there are people like Anton Chiggers out there um, who are just relentless, cold-blooded, psychopathic killers. Um, that you know, that's what makes it work, and what makes it, I think, even more scary is that Chigger could be anybody. So yeah, I think, I mean, there are people like Daniel Plainview out there too. These narcissistic oh yeah, no, we, we just, yeah, right, yeah, I mean, right. One of them's trying to buy Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, oh, like God. it's. Yeah. So I, I think that I mean one of them was the president for a while. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh fuck off! That motherfucker <laughs> never did anything. If that no, he doesn't have the swung a hammer. If, if that man shot. fell in a, if that man fell in a hole, and this is true of Elon Musk too, honestly, he yeah. would just die in the hole. Yeah, that's right. At yeah. least Daniel Day Lewis will. Or Daniel Plainview will drag himself through a fucking desert. Right. Yeah. And he yes. will wait for, for a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so uh, that uh, anyway, I just wanted to make that about. So uh, again, if I'm just going off of viewing experience and longevity, I would say probably both are have enough longevity because, like I said, both sure. movies are kind of fulcrum points for both uh, directors' careers, in my opinion. Because after No Country, there was True Grit, you know, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. They 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 kind of went on the No Country track a little bit, and even Macbeth a little bit, but not much. Um, I think so. Then I have to go down to viewing experience. Um, and while both movies are extremely enjoyable to watch, um, I think I got to give it to No Country still because it it is more of like a ride. It is more of like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go along with the journey. There's not a lot that I have to go along with other than the just sheer terror of getting away. The cat and mouse game is a little bit more of an enjoyable experience than a prolonged character study for me. Again, this is just a taste thing. And again, it's hard for me to vote against. Like, uh, you know, uh, 
there's those sequences where Shigur is chasing Brolin and like, you know, the, the little actions every character takes that is that are so smart and intelligent. Like they're both acting in a really thoughtful, like trying to keep one step ahead kind of way. And it's like they're excellently applauded action scenes. Their Only Blood doesn't really do action scenes. The violence is a little more grounded and like sudden. Um, but yeah. Both both have like Deus Ex Machina kind of happen, like like with Chigger at the end with the car crash, and then even the the explosion where shit just happens. Yeah. Um. What with with No Country, it happens right at the end, and only to Anton Chigger. Um, and that that sort of shows that like to me, well, yeah, that 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 car crash scene to me, even God can't stop him. Like there is nothing that he could slow him down, but he's coming, you know. Um, so I, I think I gotta give it to No Country. Borif, well, Zach's I guess, fate is in your hands. I guess I gotta be the tiebreaker on this one. Um, so in between there will be blood and No Country for Old Men. Like on on the one side, it doesn't feel like these came out in two thousand seven. They feel very hmm. recent. Um, so much so that when I looked it up and saw that it was two thousand seven. I felt like I had suddenly lost time in my head that I couldn't account for. Um, but I guess this was the thing that kind of gave us Josh Brolin as a dramatic leading man, because before this, he didn't really do that. And then after this, you know, he's Thanos. So Same with Bardeem, too. Yeah, yeah. They got way more well-known. Um, and Yeah, I mean, this was Bardem, like, this was like his breakout role by, like, mm, no one knew sure. who he was before. Well, he'd done, like, um, art pieces, but nothing... I don't think he had done yeah. anything that was a leading man like this. Like, he'd done, like, yeah. uh, Midnight Falls uh, yeah, or I, something. I, like, this is for him what, what Hans Landa was for Christoph Waltz the yeah. year sure. after. Yeah. Um, wow, the year after. Um, <laughs> so, the the weird thing Might have been this, two years. I mean, it's fine. I'm, I'm old and dying. Um, so, the uh, there will be blood... The, the uh, thing in that that always got me is the fact that the twins always look so much alike. So it always felt like sort of a, hang, a dangling Chad, uh, a sore thumb sticking out because I didn't understand the choice and it always confused me more than anything else in the film. However, with all of that said, uh, even, even though we might be able to like argue, you know, if something's objectively better or not, I have to just go with what I think and my opinion on it, which is completely unfair and unfounded and very much in line with the Academy Awards <laughs> because it's often a popularity contest that has F all to do with the actual quality of what's put out there and a lot more to do with the marketing push that's put out there. So I think on this one, I am actually going to say that I think There Will Be Blood is a better film. Uh, and it's totally personal, and it is totally unfair, and it is totally because I liked how much the beginning of There Will Be Blood feels like a horror film. It tips into 2001's first 20 minutes to me, where it has the silent, silent opening that gives you the sense of impending dread and horror. Um, and I would argue the last shot of like the, I'm done now, and then it cuts to the classical music. Vintage Kubrick. Yeah, Vintage yeah. Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. You could tell that he's cribbing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's unfair, but I feel like I can't disqualify it in this case. I think There Will Be Blood is a better film. Um, 
solely based off that and the fact that I can remember it. Like if I'm thinking about how I connect with a movie, for some reason, uh, Daniel Plainview killing people down in the oil derrick wells, I can remember easily more easily than um, Josh Brolin trying to bring a guy a gallon of water. Just for some reason, the uh, the the dark Ain't no the, lobos. Yeah, the dark evil uh, of there will be blood sticks out with me more than the uh, nihilistic evil in uh, sure. No Country for Old Men. Did we get a definitive answer? So, uh, and I think I also get an extra point for Chris's. Uh, is that not correct? Is that not how yeah, this yeah, round yeah. works? Yeah, I don't yeah. get Russell's extra point, but I get Chris's. Yeah. Um, and I'm not disqualified, so that's good. Uh, yeah. But did we ever get a definitive answer for Chris? He asked, do you prefer No Country or Fargo? Did we ever say oh. each of us? Oh, man. I mean, I'll probably give it to Fargo as far as a personal taste. Uh, but, I mean, No Country's in their top five, no question. I mean, for I sure. think that, okay, it's not my favorite. No Country's not my favorite Coen Brother movie, but it, it might be their best. It might be, I think, if you were to try to... Have, crib it out what of what would be the top five i would be and by the way zach i mean not for nothing i chose no country for old men but i mean if it came down to it i would say this these movies are so close together that it doesn't warrant a disqualification um because well, but i think, so I, think close. I i would i was more than willing to follow the strict like sure, if you guys you're a good sport i'm just yeah. saying for me i and i could be fun for the podcast to have a dq that's true that's true mm-hmm. but i can't in good conscience disqualify there will be blood because it's just too good um, and had this movie come out any other year, I think it probably would have won Best Picture. Were it not up against the Coen Brothers, and like I said, I think maybe the Academy is like, sorry about the English patient. Um, that's that's the the cynic in me. Well, I'll say for me, between and I'll like Chris uh, answer this last between Fargo and No Country. I guess there's a bit of a coin flip. I think most of the time, I would say Fargo. Um, Fargo feels. Fargo has a stronger Cohen feel to me than No Country overall and handles similar themes. So I think most, generally speaking, I'd be like, yeah, I think maybe this is slightly more my wheelhouse. But again, No Country is spectacular. It's a a Cormac McCarthy novel, and they're putting it through the Cohen brother meat grinder, you know? So it's coming out as Cohen brother sausage. So that's what kind of, I I kind of agree with you, whereas Fargo's just like raw Cohen brother in the raw, you know, it's just like, yeah. there's no other thing other than them. Whereas which, which Cormac you... McCarthy, they, they do had to be in parameters, which again, for both of them, this is both of their first, like kind of sure. actual adaptation. Chris, which did you prefer between those two? Um, I mean, I'll still say that my favorite Coen brothers movie is, um, uh, Oh brother, where art thou? But mm-hmm. in and for me, of... it's Barton Fink. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good one too. Um, that's an excellent movie. In terms of these, it almost feels like um, No Country for Old Men is three short films that have been edited together, and Fargo is a solid narrative that kind of runs through it. Like, it has the initial prologue on that, but then the rest of it's essentially a um, storyline of the uh, the pregnant um, uh, sheriff trying to solve that crime. So I think it becomes a much more straightforward whodunit narrative. Uh no Country for Old Men feels like it's more of a almost an art piece. Like there's there's mm. a lot of formalistic things kind of put in there that aren't really just part of the narrative. It's like we're not going to have three we're not going to have the three characters ever meet. Um, they'll be chasing there's even the same that things. Very confusing. There's that interesting shot where like 
the sheriff, uh, Ed Tom, like goes to the hotel door and you see Shigur on the other side and he goes inside and Shigur's not there. And it's like this lie it's of editing. He's next it's, door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's next door. But it, it's the coin flip. He, he had a choice between one mm-hmm. door or the other. He chose the right door. Um, so it, it's, and that's one of my favorite lines in the movies right at the end with Anton Shigur like kills a mob boss or whatever. And the guy's like, are you going to kill me? And he says, that depends. Can you see me? You know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that we all came down on Fargo over No Country because that'll make the voting more interesting. Because yeah, that's we, true. Uh, that's if, true. If, if we all like No Country more and No and There Will Be Blood already beat it, I think that would right. Be yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So okay. Well, that was that was There Will Be Blood. Um, which again, tough, tough, tough category. You did not make stick your around, job listener. Easy. After. Chris picks. I'll reveal what my other choices for this category were, uh, just in case the listener is curious what could okay. have been. Great. Um, okay, so before we get onto Chris's uh, theme, which again, I'm, I, you know, knowing Boraf in these kind of uh, themes, I, I can't wait. Um, so, uh, okay, Chris Boraf, you got a point from me because of the horror movie trope. Um, and Zach, you got two points. One from Chris for picking it, and one from Chris for um, picking up on Daniel Plainview's sort of decrepitation throughout it. I think yeah. that was what the point was for. Um, I didn't get a chance to write it down. Okay, it's for so, something. Yeah, so it uh, puts uh, Borif at 12, me at 10, and you at 12. Oh, you at 13, Zach. Okay. I still mm-hmm. have two to oh. give out, so I, like, yeah. I forgot to give it yet this round. Yeah, and you know. have, Chris, you have two, and I've got one bonus point to give out still. Okay, so, Chris Boreff, what case are you going to make? Okay, so, um, I decided to go back a little bit. Like, one of the things that was tricky Excellent. on this is that we pick out recent movies, and there were a lot of them that jumped out where I was tempted, like Double Indemnity I was tempted by, because My it's an older one. However, Fuck yeah, and that would, was a that was a travesty. Yeah. That's a tra- yeah, yeah. that's an injustice that the Academy will never get over. Yeah, but in this case, um, I decided to go with one of my first uh, times feeling as though something unfair had happened at the Academy Awards, and this was when I was a very young child. In 1979, the Academy Awards uh, came out, and Kramer versus Kramer won the Academy Award for Best Picture. My argument is that Kramer versus Kramer is garbage. Now, <laughs> the other film that should have won was Breaking Away. Oh. I think Breaking oh, Away okay. absolutely should have won. And we'll, we'll go into the whole thing of it. Just a couple things to say. It's an Indiana set movie where I recognized a lot of the locations. Um, it's realistic to the location because the cultural problems they go into in that film are things that actually were happening at the time. And uh, for me, uh, this came out the year I was born, and uh, um, I've just always loved this movie. <laughs> You've had a chip on your shoulder ever since. <laughs> I have. Dennis Quaid was cool in it. It's got Daniel Stern in it. It's got Dennis Christopher in it, who's a guy who didn't star as the lead in a lot of other stuff. Most people remember him for a fairly small part in the TV show It, when he's the guy who sprays um, his uh, inhaler at the big It monster at the end. Um, yeah. But it also gave us Jackie Earl... Eddie. 
Jackie Earl Haley. Oh. Um, and it's got Paul this Dooley pre, in this. Pre-Bad News Bears? Wasn't he in the original Bad News Bears? He might have been in that. Uh, this is after. Like, this is everyone's, like, in their 19s, 20s in this. Um, hmm. Shot all around Indiana. It's based off a true story. Uh, and I think we're going to love it. I'm I'm excited because I I have not seen this movie so uh and it's been a minute since I've seen Kramer versus Kramer I am probably inclined to agree with you but I think I just get the sense of why you fucking hate this movie well, um I, I think I, I I could probably pick uh why Borf <laughs> doesn't like Kramer versus Kramer I could only guess but no I'm excited because I've never seen it so uh great that's I was I was excited because both these movie all four of the movies we've done in this theme so far are movies that I'm either extremely familiar with or like a movie that I can, I, I remember, but really couldn't give a shit about. So, but at least these are well, movies I haven't seen in a minute or at well, least I've uh, never seen breaking away. Would you guys like to quickly hear what my alt, what, what the could have been's were? Yeah. By all means. Well, if I had rolled a one and this is going to be, this was my double blind one, but I had on good authority that it would be uh, uh, a correct uh, assumption. Uh, High Noon should have been the greatest show on earth. Indeed. Uh-huh. Another, another injustice. Number two was, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf should have beat A Man for All Seasons. Don't uh, know if I'd agree with you on that one there. Not sure well, about that. But well, that's, that would have been a tough one too then. Uh, number three, Network should have beat Rocky. That's also a tough one yeah, for a lot yeah. of people. Hmm, but for yeah. me, that is true. It's an easy one for um, me too. <laughs> uh, number four, Kramer versus Kramer should have lost to Apocalypse Now, which I think is Francis Ford Coppola's actual best movie. Yeah. I have not seen Breakaway, so we'll see. Um, that's funny. Zach might I, come at this with a different, a different, a different case here. Yeah, that's funny because I saw you light up when I said Kramer versus Kramer, and then when I said Breaking Away, you seemed so surprised. Yeah, yeah, I have not seen Breaking Away, so we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And then this one would have just been a fun watch, uh, you know. Uh, it's not the kind of movie that they allow to win, but you know what? Mad Max Fury Road is better than Spotlight. Yes. Uh, and it was nominated, and I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent. So. Uh, all movies pale to Mad Max Fury Road. That movie is one of the best of the 2010s, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so that's, that's what, uh, that's what could have been. And, and it's another movie that my little brother fucking hated, so... There's a there's a trend there. Um, oh, he hated it. Hated we we it, gotta hated get it, hated we it. gotta pick out. I think one of these we need to have it be movies that your brother hated, and we need to yeah, force him to be on so we can talk about why he hated. Dude, them. I I could I, I I was on the phone with Brandon about Mad Max Fury Road for like three hours arguing with him about Mad Max Fury Road. We we do not want to open this can of words again. It will be <laughs> we will be here all day. <laughs> we will be here all day. Okay, so that was fun. This was a this was a, this has been this theme is turning out uh, exactly as I as I anticipated. So I'm excited uh, to do breaking away, and especially since Zach's got a a ringer to throw in, maybe mm -hmm. in the case about uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Um, so. Uh, join us next time for Breaking Away. Uh, I have been Russell Carlson, and I have been joined by my partner, Chris Boroff. I drink your... Wait, you already said that one at the start. I can't steal. I drink your milkshake. Oh, well. You said it at the start. Did I say it at the start? I thought that... You did. Did, did. How much have you lost on a coin toss? There you go. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs>
And I've also been joined by my other friend and partner, Zach Powers. Uh, I'm going to bury you in the ground, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I am the third revelation. I am the true prophet. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And as we always say on the movie trap, Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. Movie trap promise. It is. We'll see you later, folks.